Welcome to the Physician Wellness Lounge hosted by Dr. Yashoda Baskar, who is board certified in internal medicine and a diplomat of the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. She is also an ICF certified life transformation coach and a certified money coach. This podcast features physicians who discuss wellness and balance within and outside of medicine. It covers a wide range of topics around this theme with some wonderful advice and practical tips that you can start incorporating right away to improve the happiness quotient in your life. We hope you enjoy this episode and please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you listen to it. And now here's your host, Dr. Yashoda. everybody. I am so pleased to bring on Dr. Siri Chan Khalsa, who is an amazing physician and a good friend of mine to this episode today. Uh, Dr. Khalsa has had a lifelong interest in mindful living as the basis for long-term vitality of mind, body, and spirit. She completed a residency in internal medicine at the Mayo Clinic in 2005 And she is triple board certified in internal medicine, integrative medicine, as well as hospice and palliative medicine. Dr. Khalsa has deepened her studies on health and healing by becoming a yoga instructor, Reiki master, and participating in a two-year full-time program on Ayurveda at the Ayurvedic Institute in Albuquerque and India. Serving as an integrative medicine PCP and instructor at the University of Arizona Integrative Medicine Fellowship for Physicians and consultant to other medical practices, she has dedicated her career to promoting an increased understanding in clinical medicine of the link between long-term vitality and the daily choices we make. She's currently focusing her energy to support physicians who want to expand their personal understanding of new ways of healing through an experiential process utilizing techniques in Ayurveda, yoga, mindfulness, and plant-based nutrition, and is creating a plant-based lifestyle course in the new year that will be available to everyone. Thanks, Dr. Khalsa, for coming on and uh, being willing to be a guest on my podcast. It's a delight to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this uh, episode because every time we've connected, we never know in which direction our conversation takes us. So it's so true. <laughs> I love it. So I'm loving this. So um, Suri Chand, maybe we can start by you um, kind of telling our listeners a little bit about your journey uh, through medicine and then kind of out the other side and what you're doing currently. Well, you know, it's, I always say that sometimes we hit uh, pockets of happy resistance. And I had grown up in the East Coast in a suburban Washington, D.C. neighborhood. And I had gone to a STEM high school, a magnet school for math and science. And really early on, there was a lot of pressure to achieve and to succeed. And so by the time I got to college, there was definitely a classic burnout already happening. You know, there's so much pressure to um, be the best and you're in such a a pressure cooker. This was like, this uh, high school had some of the brightest minds and collection of people I would probably ever be in one place. (laughs) You know, all these uh, uh, adults that have high power careers in DC wanted their kids at this school. 
And so, um, and you had to apply to get in and it was very competitive once you were there. And also just really bright people can, can create some sense of anxiety in your own comparison, especially at those really formative te teenage years. So my second year of college, I developed, I always like to say, I didn't have a nervous breakdown. I had a body breakdown because, you know, in Ayurveda, I can explain it, but the body-mind continuum that I have is one that's like, I will persevere at all costs. So I developed a lot of um, just physical symptoms and I went to the student health and the, the physician there, probably a resident, maybe someone not interested in primary care, basically said, here's some very potent sedatives, uh, phenobarbital. I think this will be just what you need. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Like if you're a medicine, I, I can't even think of a situation in my career where that ever would have been appropriate, but I didn't really know better. You know, in many ways I had not had a lot of intersection with healthcare. No one in my family's a doctor. At that time, the internet wasn't it wasn't until my senior year of college that the internet really became it. even something member gophers and AOL and, you know, little DOS and dial-ups. I mean, so there wasn't easy access to databases and information. Yeah. And of course I had a sense, I was like, isn't this a horse tranquilizer, you know, oh something anyway, yeah. but you know, in, in looking back, there was just this little spark of, um, something inside me, maybe it's the divine destiny, I'm not sure, but something inside me said, this isn't right, and I've better, I better go find another solution, and that was really the beginning of what I always like to say was sort of a dual journey, except for during residency, when you can really only do one thing, but all the other years that I've been in the pursuit of being a doctor, or practicing, or learning, always I've had dual tracks of wanting to learn all the other ways in which we heal. And it's taken me into some interesting nooks and crannies on the planet with some interesting conversations with healers and perceptions around healing. But my true love was really Ayurveda because it began to unite all these different systems into a, a methodology of thinking about um, how we might heal. And Ayurveda, for your listeners that may not be as familiar, is an ancient healing system that was initially based on hundreds, if not thousands of years of observing the human condition in a very methodical way. This person, these trends, these qualities, when these other things are introduced, these are the outcomes. And then we monitor that over lifetime, over lifetime, over lifetime. And combined with sort of deep, uh, almost mystical insight, you know, being able to sort of go very deeply in meditation and in awareness of what's happening in the body. And, um, you know, I think not everything that's contained in all the classics has 100% relevance today. I always like to say that if the Vaidyas, the sages and saints who studied and written and shared these textbooks were alive today, they would invite scientific discourse. They would be on the edge at the laboratory bench saying, how does the things that I experienced or thought about intersect with what we can now measure and understand? And I think we are lo looking at all these translational qualities and epigenetics, microbiome, um, detoxification pathways, inflammatory pathways, 
So it's kind of a really exciting time to be alive because we can start to envision these uh, amalgams in the middle of how we could think about the knowledge that we can carry forward from these ancient traditions, also found in other longstanding healing traditions with the innovation that we're doing in the modern era. To that end, I'm not a proponent of just taking a botanical as a substitute for a pharmaceutical. I think we have to really look deeper at the problems and understand their roots in a different way. And so that's really what's happened. And I've become a yoga instructor. And, um, I've studied Ayurveda deeply, but of course, not the same as if I had gone to school in India. You know, there's only so much you can study here in the US. I've become a Reiki master and I've done an integrative medicine fellowship. And so, you know, really that pathway occurred simultaneously with my education and career. And it's been quite a journey to say the least. Sounds so amazing, seriously. Um, you know, with being trained in the very sort of conventional model, but there was something inside you always seeking to think outside of the box and bring in these other elements that made sense to you, right? That's a very sort of intuitive, instinctive process. So how has it informed your idea around disease and healing? You know, one of the things that I love doing is leaning into the sutras from Ayurveda. So there's a beautiful, the sutras are the Sanskrit phrases, if you will, they're almost poetry like Shakespeare, that were originally oral, and then they became written and then into textbooks. And so we have three classic textbooks, but one of the classic um, sutras, if you will, the gist of it is, um, the purpose of Ayurveda is to uh, prevent disease and to return those with disease to health. And I think the way that the studies have really shaped my understanding is going very deeply into the, what I consider true prevention. So from my point of view, when I was more active in my practice, when we would screen for diabetes, hypertension, breast cancer, cervical cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, um, we're early detection. We have not actually prevented the occurrence. And so mindset-wise, in allopathic medicine, we actually have no billing, we have no insurance, we have no infrastructure to think about what true prevention at that epigenetic level is, you know, what is it that keeps the cells and the machinery around genes promoting health? And, um, and I would say that because of the limited nature of my exposure to Ayurvedic hospitals, I'm more in the prevention arm in terms of what I teach. The therapeutic arm actually has very advanced therapeutics um, that utilize protocols, hundreds if not thousands of years old for advanced diseases, some of which are more palliative in nature, but some of which are um, able to sort of exact a amount of restructuring and rebalancing of the body that I think could actually go well with treatment programs. And I know people for better or for worse, independently seek that process mm -hmm. without the supervision of a physician. They'll have this whole pathway they're doing over here. And then what the allopathic system is recommending. And sometimes those, those arms need to be communicating better. Right. Yes, this is valuable. It's not somebody just extorting money from you for the personal gain, which is how it sometimes is represented. Right. You know, right. I'll see 
allopathic physicians saying things like, well, this doctor is selling you a supplement. And it's like, well, because you can't get it anywhere else. That's why we have that botanical from India that we know doesn't have letter mercury in it because we get the chromography on it. You know, we don't want you going to Amazon to find this botanical. So there are a lot of layers and ethical considerations as you develop these practices. But for me, it really began to enliven my interest in what is really the forerunner to lifestyle medicine and how simple daily structured activities, even if you don't nuance it in the Ayurveda model, everything in lifestyle medicine is completely recommended with tremendous nuance in Ayurveda, mm -hmm. which many people don't know. And I always like to say that Dean Ornish's teacher who inspired him was Swami Sachdananda, and he credits him in his recent books. He said, initially people were for the terms of yoga in the seventies were foreign. He felt like there wouldn't be as much buy-in, but he'd come home suicide. This is his own story. He'd come home suicidal one, I think during medical school or residency, I don't recall which, but um, his sister had invited the Swami to their home. I believe it was Texas. We don't have all the details memorized, but the Swami began to work with him and said, there's no reason to stay in this uh, emotional state. Mm -hmm. We can try these simple practices and bring your body back to a state of balance. And he was 100% a convert after that. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we know, has rolled out the only lifestyle medicine program that Medicare will pay for. Very comprehensive. And I'm really looking at rolling back disease or at least halting the progression. And unfortunately, at this point, that program is only for people with documented cardiovascular disease, but structurally, the components that are in it, loving relationships, plant-forward diet, stress reduction movement, are these powerhouses of where health can be derived from. So I think it really just inspired me to recognize, A, we don't get it in our allopathic training. We, there's some magical assumption that we're going to know how to teach it, talk about it, believe in it, which is just magical thinking because right. we really do need instruction or at least know how to instruct people to find it in healthy ways mm -hmm. and B, to just become a much stronger advocate for it and to appreciate it, that prevent, true prevention has to integrate these principles that Ayurveda just uh, continually reinforced for me how valuable deep sleep is, how valuable connection is, how valuable resetting that internal um, stress-driven engine. Yeah. And, you know, I think as you've seen, you know, finding purpose, financial health, you know, there are these facets, spiritual health right. that maybe aren't in those lifestyle pillars that are certainly in Ayurveda mm -hmm. and very powerfully so. Yeah, that's a great explanation. I think, you know, when you mentioned Ayurveda, the, the level of knowledge, I mean, even growing up in India, you know, had very, very bare bones. It's about the, the three doshas and that's pretty much it. And they need to be in balance or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of the Ayurvedic principles that my grandmother and my mom and my mother-in-law um, instilled in their cooking. Like you, you, they didn't need to know sort of the layers of Ayurveda, but it was definitely part of, of how we ate and how we moved and you know all those things that you were talking about. How does this sort of 
how do you bring this into the modern world? Like, how do you make close that gap between, oh, this is something that was practiced 5,000 years ago in a foreign country, right? To modern day American life, where it seems like there's such a desperate need for these things, especially during this pandemic era. Well, I think this is a wonderful, wonderful question. And I think that one of the things that's happening, which is incredible, is that lifestyle medicine is, is, is sort of stepping into the spotlight. So physicians are hungry, literally, spiritually, emotionally, for this knowledge of understanding how to help change habits, what is evidence-based, or what can we think about in this um, systems epidemiology kind of model? And um, you know, this is something that I think we have to really think about because in this modern era where there's 70% of people are with obesity and lifestyle related diseases are you know, ratcheting up, there's a lot we can do with just these simple behavioral shifts. And really, I think the lifestyle medicine is the first place of reckoning, if you will. Mm -hmm. Ayurveda is sort of, um, let's take that now further. Mm -hmm. Because until you've really even thought about the value of these aspects, then, then Ayurveda is still gonna feel a bit esoteric or reach, unless you've sort of done those deep dives into integrative medicine, in which case there's probably just a natural curiosity mm -hmm. for these whole systems, medical, uh, these whole person medical systems like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. So in terms of bringing it to a larger audience, I think that we're actually doing a tremendous uh, disservice to Ayurveda by not making the link that it really is lifestyle medicine at its core. And then if you're in the appropriate environments, you can use it very strongly therapeutically, but with qualified clinician, with well-vetted botanicals, with people that know the body treatments and understand the, the layers and nuances of applicating application of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really leaning into, from my side, leaning into and supporting any physician that's interested in lifestyle medicine, which I know you're a huge proponent of, and you've created a, an entire community that um, you with, I believe some others have really been cultivating that relationship and supporting physicians in that discovery and really normalizing the conversation. I mean, someone had asked a question recently along these lines. And my feeling is that when it becomes normal to do a sleep inventory, when it becomes normal to assess stress outside of anxiety and depression, right. when it becomes normal to look at exercise metrics and have exercise prescriptions, when it becomes normal to have effective ways to launch education and support for the transformation of someone's diet, that is actually Ayurveda. And for me, I'm not as troubled that we don't have some of the subtle nuances of the doshas, because that will come in time. Mm -hmm. As people become more interested in those therapeutics, they'll recognize, hey, there's a trend here. This personality, this body type isn't responding the way I thought they would with right. these treatments. Let me think about this, because really, that's what the ancient sages and healers did. Yes. It was 
observing and interacting. And to me, somehow there was this pocket of ignorance that we popped into. And um, gosh, I probably far smarter people than me need to speculate on exactly what happened. There's lots of conversations about what happened with botanical medicine and homeopathic uh, treatment and osteopathic treatment in the early 1900s that really turned us towards pharmaceuticals and surgical interventions and pill for problem as opposed to really developing relationships with patients. And now, of course, we have this overburdened um, administrative component in medicine now that is taking some of the dollars, if you will, and time is dollars and dollars is time that we need, that physicians need in that relationship with patients. But there's so many middle people. I always used to explain to patients, there's 10 people between what you're paying and what I'm paid who are like little mouse, you know, they're taking a bite of the cheese. No and, <laughs> you know, this is why I love the direct primary care model or right. these concierge practices, because they're saying, we want to cut out everything in the middle so that our time is valuable. And I have so much respect for the physicians that have jumped into that movement and into that conversation, because many of them understand that time and relationship and education in these features is essential for, for addressing what we call, you know, these lifestyle-based diseases, which um, cancer, cardiovascular disease, obesity, joint pain, depression, you know, and certain aspects of dementia, they're all linked to the inappropriate consumption of nutrients with poor movement, poor sleep, increased stress, lack of connection, you know, lack of financial health, childhood trauma. These are all these metrics that when you're sitting in an office as a clinician and saying, what's your A1C? What's your measure of your three month sugar trend? And, so, and you look at the number and you look at the person and you make an adjustment to the medicine. Well, that's hardly healing. That's hardly medicine. Such a great point. Yeah, it seems like we've almost it's devolved into just dealing with the symptom, right? With the superficial, <clears throat> there's just no, um, no bandwidth for going deep and looking at how and why these dis-ease states formed in the first place. It doesn't just happen. You know, there's all these ideas of, oh, but I'm getting old and it happened, you know. No, there's some people who've clearly demonstrated they can live to 102 and beyond and not develop these diseases, even if it exists in their family as, you know, as part of their genetic makeup. And so it's so finely nuanced. And you know, the thing that really surprises me is um, outcomes, right? If, <clears throat> if Western medicine was indeed the solution to all problems, why are we seeing worsening numbers? And in spite of, more pharmaceuticals available now than ever in the time of history, you know, in the history of mankind, if you will. And yet the rates of our chronic disease just keep skyrocketing. And it's yeah. so shocking in a way, right? For being highly intellectual beings in the medical field, how many physicians stop to think about this, this paradox, if you will, you know, the irony of it. it and that's sort of the dilemma in a way is that many of the young physicians are burdened by loans and hospital-based jobs and a lot of good medicines being done. A lot of people are suffering less from the care that's being given. 
And so I don't, I think that it's, it's at a such, such a deep, I'm a single payer fan personally, I can't help it. You know, when you start looking at these sociological issues around delivering this, and actually the VA has rolled out a very powerful program. It's a single payer model. The vets are benefiting tremendously. They get acupuncture coaching, chiropractic if it's appropriate. Um, they're getting nutritional advice. They get, and again, the coaches come through them with them on that journey. They look at spiritual health, financial health. It's a very powerful program. And um, I think that, and if anybody's interested who's listening, you can certainly look up that program. I am totally blanking on the name of it at the moment. Um, uh, maybe we can put it in your show notes or something yeah, yeah. to circle back. But there is a beautiful holistic program that was launched by integrative medicine doctor Tracy Gaudet at the VA. She somehow miraculously managed to get a huge grant from Congress to roll the program out. And many graduates from the Integrative Medicine Fellowship in Arizona are now staffing those centers and delivering true integrative care, true preventive care. And of course, we have the wounded warriors and you know very significant injury and trauma. Many of these veterans suffering horribly with pain. And of course, on that continuum, the expression of that trauma as a progression in their mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. And I think that it's so important. It's so, so important to be honoring their commitment and what they've offered. So from my heart, you know, I was like, well, what better group to deserve a beautiful model than them? Right. But I'm hoping, and I believe they've been collecting data now for several years, but it'll take, program is new, I want to say 2017, 2018, it launched. Mm -hmm. They had infrastructure before, but it was a form, now it's a formal uh, program. And, um, you know, they have a real powerful uh, model. I think they're going to have some very interesting data that they can show us in time. So wow, that's such a great beginning. And I agree, like what better population to benefit from something like this, the integrative model, because I, you know, and again, just in just the last, I would say three or four years, I'm hearing more of these conversations. You know, I definitely think that medicine is not the way it was even 10, 15 years ago. It might, it might appear that way. You walk into a hospital or a clinic these days and it still seems like business as usual, but this under, these under um, wave rumblings, I think of, of dissatisfaction in general, whether it is from physicians who are just tired of doing the same thing over and over again and realizing that the results are not gonna be different unless we do something different or even from patients, right? Like they're coming in and they're going, I don't wanna be taking 15 medications and still feeling like crap. Um, so there's this hunger almost and thirst for, for a new paradigm, for a new way of delivering healing rather than just focusing on how do we manage your, your diseases? How do we just manage your body falling apart without really taking into consideration that you know, we're way more than just our bodies. <laughs> we're our minds and our spirits and just so complex and, and something like Ayurveda and those principles, you know, like you said, it's a whole body system, not just, or a whole health system almost in a way. Um, so Sirichan, what are some maybe quick tips that people who are kind of curious about these sort of developments that's going on outside of the conventional medicine box, 
where would you ask them to start like doing their own sort of seeking, if you will? Well, and, and I wanted to just point out the veterans program is called the whole health program. Okay, cool. And the programs approved by the VA include acupuncture, biofeedback, clinical hypnosis, guided imagery, massage therapy, meditation, Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, and then coaching is partnered into that. And it kind of is a segue to your, to your question. So one of the most important things I believe is to, for us to start to see change, we as patients and physicians as patients, we need to start asking that our providers be knowledgeable in these things. And I'm not asking that as a demand to then burden providers who are already feeling constrictions on their time and their energy. But until the consumer is sort of persistently circling back to their employer, to their healthcare provider, to anyone who will listen, these are things that I find valuable. And these are things that have evidence and these are things that are important. And I think this is such a valuable part of the conversation because otherwise it's gonna stay siloed and people will seek out someone who's not having a conversation with their traditionally trained allopathic doctor. So of course, I'm a huge proponent of finding someone who's done lifestyle medicine training or integrative medicine training, because I feel like those types of providers are are gonna inherently want to partner with someone to figure out which, it's like spokes on a wheel. Once one part of that wheel is moving, the whole health paradigm starts shifting. Mm. And so you may need uh, education in supporting those habits through a class, through a book, through some online instruction, through a group-based learning format, which is my personal favorite. Or you might be looking at actual therapeutics and finding someone who does the acupuncture, biofeedback, guided imagery, um, meditation, Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, et cetera. And you can seek those out. But when you do that in connection with someone who's open to a conversation, like of course, any patient that I had, I'll give an example, not medical advice, of course, but any patient that I had who was experiencing significant migraines or sleep disorders, I of course got all the standard neurologic sleep medicine workup, but I always recommended them to go see an acupuncturist. And how many, and first of all, the, the, we had a local community acupuncture, which meant very affordably you could go. And so I recommend this, you could go and get acupuncture for under $15. If you were on a tight budget, you'd be in a room with other people. It wouldn't be as much that one-to-one, -one, but you'd still be able to get the benefit of those therapeutics. And there's a real grassroots movement for community acupuncture. And so um, definitely encourage people to explore that. And I had so many patients come back and say, that was life-changing. And I even had the acupuncturist reach out to me when I left clinical medicine. She's like, we're going to miss you. <laughs> you, know, you. You sent so many wonderful patients to us who got so many great benefits. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think acupuncture is something that has very direct um, shifts for people that are feeling... Um, not sure how to empower themselves to the next step mm -hmm. because meditation, imagery, hypnosis, Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, they all involve an external action that, you know, exerts something in. And sometimes people are just feeling a bit fatigued from whatever health issue they have that to get that reset that comes through acupuncture. Often I would start with that 
or a manual therapy like an osteopath, craniosacral, or physical therapy to get the body just a little bit more energized so that the other endeavors that someone wanted to jump into, they would feel resourced to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great advice, great suggestion. You know, and I think even simple things like really just looking at what you eat. <laughs> yes, you know, we exactly. kind of talked about microbiome and the gut and there's such fascinating science coming out more and more about how we're more, you know, more bugs than human in a way. Yeah. And so if literally you, by numbers, for yeah, sure, literally <laughs> for sure. And so just that even making those small shifts, like cutting out processed foods and sugar from your diet, just just small steps like that. Because then, like you said, once you have that energy, then you can start kind of delving into some of these other things that are, you know, that are components of good health in general. Um, so you know, such a fascinating conversation. So in terms of Ayurveda, my understanding is you've created a program that's basically sort of a, well, I'll let you tell, tell the audience, what is the program you've created on Ayurveda? <laughs> so one of the things that I realized was that, especially for those clinicians who've done integrative medicine training where Ayurveda is part of the curriculum, the terminology and the conceptual framework of how to apply it are not particularly intuitive for us. And I realized that um, many physicians would never have the opportunity that for whatever the reason, I didn't have children, I can live pretty slim because of that. So taking that long chunk of time off didn't end up being um, you know, very like a, a huge issue for me where many clinicians, it would be very difficult to shift their career and practice and lifestyle and family and children and homes and mortgages and loan student loan, all of those pieces make it very difficult to go do an in-depth study. And so what I realized was that I could actually partner and accelerate the learning a little bit, leaning into things we know, but also through creating a very concrete syllabus that gives people a very practical introduction to the terminology and how to apply it in these sort of non-linear ways. And we accomplished that because we're not so attuned to that in how we live and in, in practice is through mindfulness, meditation, cooking, lecture, and group connection and a self-care program that's very specifically um, tailored to Ayurveda. And so these pieces allow that intelligence to start to wake up. And classically, Ayurveda is a very long course of study. So this isn't meant to replace a dedicated academic commitment to becoming certified in Ayurveda. This is really an opportunity to understand the terminology, to examine it in one's own life and in those kind of near to us, and to come come out of the program with a very practical capacity to look past the sound bites of Ayurveda that we see on the memes and to see the connections of how things that clinicians have been intuitively observing through their career, usually it's a mid or mid to mid career and on that are interested. I think when you're first in your career, there's a lot of other things happening. Yeah. And so taking a chunk of time like this is feels a little like maybe later. Mm -hmm. And so but I realized that a lot of physicians actually have a very profound and intuitive relationship to patterns, but they've never had a system to quantify and elucidate like, oh, this is, oh, 
And so it's been a lot of fun to watch the clinicians who've done the program, their eyes sort of light up as we move into the latter portion of the course and they start to see like, oh, these pieces of what I've seen again and again and again are actually these things that we explain it this way in Ayurveda. And we look at some of the therapeutics and botanicals and, and therapeutic measures, some of which would be very foreign for most allopathic doctors and seem a bit um, unusual. But again, always leaning back into those pillars of lifestyle medicine and then including financial and spiritual health, you can do so much for people. Right. And then the Ayurveda just adds this additional layer of nuance and understanding. And of course, there's a connection and a community we're building where there's this um, shared terminology and shared focus of understanding the whole organism. Mm -hmm. And in many ways we could, as science progresses forward, I can envision we'd have a new name for something that's this amalgam of modern science. I think they're calling it precision medicine, but I like, I don't know, somehow I want something that carries a, a more expansive concept of how complicated all these systems within us are and how interdependent and interrelated we are to the natural world, which we've largely segregated ourselves from that understanding. Right. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, we kind of live like we don't belong in this universe almost. <laughs> You know, and all that stuff, stuff about like forest bathing or grounding, just walking bare feet on, you know, on your lawn or the beach. I mean, it's such it, the acupuncture points that get stimulated. Like that's my most favorite activities, walking on the beach bare feet. Like there's nothing to beat that. Just absolutely nothing. Being totally connected with Mother Earth and the air and everything around us. So yes, and whales. And whales, <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> So beautiful that day. I can't even I can't even begin expressing how much no. you're part of that, right? But I love how it's almost like we're coming back full circle, like we talked about before, where that's how our ancestors started. They were totally integrated in nature. They were totally tuned into their, you know, into their intuitive and um, a, a way of looking at at you know the respect for Mother Earth and birds and animals and all of this. And we all are one. And then we kind of separate it out and technology, I think in a way has its pluses and minuses, but it reinforces that. But then the very same sort of this yearning for the truth, you know, because we know what we're seeing is not all that there is. And so needing to start kind of unearthing those layers and getting deeper and deeper. And I think that's, that's really the process of healing. That's, that's it yeah. in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> And I think, you know, it brings up such a beautiful analogy. And I think your work in hospitals and in ICU settings, you know, sometimes healing is there without cure. And so there's a really wonderful continuum of sort of the ever unfolding mystery. And I think if you've been around a lot of death and advanced disease, which in the hospital you have, and in my work in hospice and palliative medicine, you, you, inevitably, as you progress through your career, become very humbled to how little we know. Yes. There's an absolute, if, if that humility escapes you, it's a travesty because there's a real, a genuine humility that comes into as we progress through our careers and we realize like, hmm, there are things here that I can't fully explain. 
and and even you know from my point of view which is i've looked at a lot of different systems and even i am consistently saying i don't have a way to explain that i don't have a way to tie that together i don't have a way to you know get to the why within the situation or the how mm -hmm. and maybe why is more of a philosophic question but the how mm -hmm. and so i think this idea of the how we heal is something that um I don't think we can talk about it enough. Yeah, I agree. I love how you touched on that whole piece of the humility of not, because you know, there's this expectation when you go into medicine that you, you're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have answers for everything and everybody. And after being in it for so long, and like you said, you know, this, these magical miraculous mysteries that happen and with humility, you know, for me personally, what came, what it came down to was being okay with the not knowing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at some level. At some level, it is okay. And, and how do you make your patients and their families be okay with the not knowing? And that was, you know, that's a big that's, step. it's yeah. a huge step, yes. And at that point, it's, you know, all they really want is your presence. You know, if you can sit there and just the shared human condition yeah. in the not knowing. Yeah, and in that suffering, in the, yes. in the, you know, suffering is such an interesting thing. And in the mystical traditions, they say, you know, pain is the remedy. Of course, this is not going to land so well sometimes for our Western minds. But sometimes in our suffering is, is our greatest transformation. And whether that is someone in my belief system fully transitioning out of their body into the great unknown of what's next right. or just transitioning into a new awareness of what took them to that state of imbalance mm -hmm. inevitably you know when there's a lot of suffering there's a there's deep questioning and sometimes i think it's really valuable to have a spiritual counselor which we've sort of skirted around but i just finish with that you know whether it's a chaplain a trusted spiritual advisor a figure in the church who's a religion that you're based in who's trained in counseling methods um you know because i in fact i was saying to my husband the other day um i don't think there's anything quite as painful as existential pain mm -hmm. and um you know physical pain has a certain place it stops existing and you ramp up emotional but when you get to that existential or spiritual pain when someone's deeply suffering again as a clinician we're deeply humbled when we see that amount of suffering. And um, we've all seen it in medicine and it, it touches our humanity, it touches our soul, it touches our heart. And you know, maybe on some level, that is what kept me anchored in that system for so long until eventually I, I realized, you know, I needed to, for my own well-being, exist in some other system that had a little bit more freedom to explore these things yeah so oh beautiful beautiful you know this could be a conversation that could go on for another couple hours and i apologize i thought i had no. my phone on mute and we've got all these bings coming in so apologies for that this is real this is real stuff this is real yeah. um so uh dr siri chan please tell our audience where they can find you and how they can follow your work Sure, I'd love to connect. Um, my, you can find me just by googling Dr. Siri Chun, so D R 
S-I-R-I-C-H-A-N-D, and it's two first names. Sometimes people wonder about that. And um, that is my social media handle, as well as my website, which can link you into all of the platforms. And I love sharing my my primary passion and the way that I've connected with people is in plant-based eating and simplifying it and making it tasty for all. Of course, it's a it's an ongoing journey, as we all know. <laughs> we have to eat every day. We're always coming to that meal again. It's a, a true practice and meditation to come to the table every day with gratitude and creativity and and nourishment, you know, on all those levels. Yeah. Well, your your pictures are so delicious and mouthwatering. And I've <laughs> certainly tried out several of your recipes and I can swear, like if I live somewhere close by, I'd probably be over for dinner once or <laughs> twice a week, at least. <laughs> I know, I hear that. I love to feed people. You know, this pandemic, we actually moved right before the pandemic started. And I had all these visions of having people over to eat. And I have had only my mom over, oh, you goodness. know, <laughs> for a year we've been in this house. And I, I think we had one Super Bowl event. And, the, and that was just snacks. And so anyway, um, yes, anyone who is a friend of mine is always welcome at our table once this oh. um, COVID journey passes by us. Yes, for sure, for sure. But in the meantime, definitely follow Siri Chan and look at some of her cooking stuff. And it is absolutely delicious. Absolutely. I love the Thanksgiving that we did. That was so good. Even my sons, nobody squeaked about no meat on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, that's true. Yeah. I do a yearly plant-based Thanksgiving course, so you can always um, learn more about that on my website as well. Great. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today and having such a meaningful, wonderful conversation filled with so much depth and nuance. And we're just here to serve and put our work out in the world. And um, I just love having these conversations. They're beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm excited to uh, listen in and tune into your um, exploration of people's stories and the sharing that comes through that just sort of genuine and authentic curiosity that you bring. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>